Lord God, we have come before here, come into this place, we've gathered before you, and we have heard from your word, and we have sung these truths, that you are great, and you are loving, you are awesome, and you are gracious. And Lord, I thank you that it's uh, through your son, Jesus Christ, that we now live in a right relationship with you. And uh, the grace uh, through which you brought us into a right relationship with yourself through faith transforms us. The way we, we look at you and the way we look at our world is now different because of what you have done in us. So Lord, as we look at a passage of scripture from Ephesians chapter 5, which challenges us, and convicts us, Lord, I pray that you would give us your Holy Spirit. You would fill us, fill me, that I would be able to speak today uh, clearly. Fill us, Lord Jesus, that we would live out the truths of your word and that we would love others in accordance with the truth of your word. So we ask for your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand for the reading of our gospel lesson. We have a couple of verses I'm going to start with. I forgot my Bible, so I'm going to read it off the screen. And here, in, if you could actually go to my slide, Ian, that would be perfect uh, in my uh, sermon slides that I wrote. And uh, there uh, we, we read, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Verse 3, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let, therefore, let there therefore be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Here ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Last week's sermon, we heard that we are called to be imitators of God, and that's exactly what the Apostle Paul says. He says, be imitators of God, imitate him in our lives. And this, this call to be imitators of God means that we are called to reflect the nature of God. We're called to reflect God's nature. So when people encounter us, they should see a reflection in us of who God is. Now that truth right there is extremely convicting, isn't it? Extremely convicting. That we're called to be imitators of God, that is those who reflect the character and the nature of God. So I have an illustration for us today. The sermon is titled Living in Christ as One. Actually, the series is. I just want to encapsulate this idea in one truth. The center of our lives is Christ. Christ is at the center. He's the one who's accomplished all things through him. And it's through Christ that we have a right relationship to God. Through Christ, our relationship with God is restored. So we live our lives in this, in this vertical dimension before God, 
um, as people who have been made right because of what Christ did for us upon the cross, right? But it also has an impact in how we live horizontally. Not only are we called to live in a right relationship with God, we're also called to live in a right relationship before believers and unbelievers. In other words, the, the life that we live in this world is to be defined by Christ himself. Called to be imitators of God, that is to be a reflection of who God is. So number one, reflecting the nature of God. We are called, next slide, we are called to reflect the nature of God. But number two, reflecting the nature of God, it doesn't come naturally to us, does it? It doesn't come naturally to us, and that's because we confess every Sunday that we've sinned. That we've sinned against God. But then, number three, a new nature is given. A new nature is given by grace through faith. So we are to call to reflect the nature of God, but because we're sinners, we don't always reflect that nature. But then Christ came, and he did this great work through the cross. And by his grace, through faith, a new nature, the nature of Christ, is given to us. So you are in Christ, and Christ is in you. You're indwelled with the Holy Spirit. And because of this gift of grace, we can, by his power and his strength, live as a reflection of Christ. Live before God and live before others as a reflection of who God is. It doesn't come natural to us, and I want to zero on on point number two. It was, it was natural for Adam and Eve, right? It was natural for Adam and Eve to live as a reflection of God because sin hadn't entered into the world yet. They didn't have a sin nature that separated them from God. When they lived in the Garden of Eden, they lived in perfect fellowship with God. Perfect fellowship in that, in that uh, vertical dimension of life and in perfect fellowship in the horizontal dimension of life with each other and with creation itself. Before the fall, they were in perfect relationships. Every relationship was perfect with God and with each other. How many of you wish that we could be there again where all of your relationships are perfect and there is no, never anything that's strained in your relationship? Wouldn't that be amazing? Even the heroes of our faith didn't reflect God's nature. Think of, of Noah. Noah sinned. Noah had an alcohol problem. Abraham sinned. Abraham played the pimp with his wife. Moses sinned. He had an anger management problem. David sinned. He was an adulterer and a murderer. You know, the, the sins of the heroes of our faith are the sins that make the average churchgoer blush, right? Sexual sins, the sins of passion and murder, the sins of, of mistreatment of others. Uh, the heroes of our faith, they didn't live perfectly before God, and, and they certainly didn't live perfectly with, with others. Their lives were messed up in the, in the vertical 
dimension of life and in the horizontal dimension of life. And the same is true of me and the same is true of you. And we cannot reflect his nature until we're given a new nature. That nature is given by grace through faith in Christ. Christ at the center. So in Ephesians 5, we go to Ephesians 5 today. In Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul reminds us of the sins of passion. The sins which many of our heroes of faith struggled with. The sins which our culture struggles with and the sins which we struggle with. The sins of passion. The sins of greed. These sins which which are not a reflection of God's nature and character. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul tells us, first point, number one, that we, uh, that these things should not be a part of our lives. Number one, sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. The, the Greek word for sexual immorality is pornea. Pornea. Can you guess what English word we get from that Greek word? Pornea. Pornography, right? Sexual immorality. Number two, impurity. It can also be translated as filthiness. Number three, covetousness, which can also be translated as greed. The sins of pleasure, the sins of greed. And the Apostle Paul says that there shouldn't be even a hint of these among God's people, not even a hint of these things. Why? Because Paul says they are improper for God's people. There shouldn't be a hint of these things because they're improper for God's people. These things don't reflect God's design for our life. They don't reflect God's design for human sexuality or God's design for for living. They don't reflect God's character or nature of generosity of love and of giving. And Paul, he goes even further. Paul equates these sins of sexual immorality, of filth, and of greed, to idolatry. Paul says that they're, they're idolatry. Did you know you don't need to worship a statue to be an idolater? North American culture is, is full of idolatry, not the idolatry of Asia with temples and shrines to false gods, but we certainly do have our temples and shrines. As a culture, we worship at the altar pleasure and wealth. From Luther's small catechism, the explanation of the small catechism, we put it this way, idolatry is this. Commit idolatry is to put anyone or anything ahead of God. To put anyone or anything ahead of God. Can we safely say that our present culture has put pleasure and money ahead of God? Can we safely say that? 
that within our culture that these things are ahead of God? Have we placed the pleasures of this leading world ahead of God? Yes. North America is obsessed with pleasure and money and all the power that it brings. And it's not just Jeffrey Epstein and and the, the, the film producer, whatever his name is, Harvey Weinstein. There's a little of, of, of those guys in, in all of us. And ultimately, ultimately, any form of idolatry leads to what Paul says, no inheritance. No inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. In other words, if if we bow before the idols of our culture and and we, we fail to acknowledge God and to repent and kneel before him, there's no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. What did Paul write? Verse 5 of Ephesians 5. For you may be sure of this, that anyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous that is an idolater has what no inheritance in the kingdom of christ and god to live this way is is to not be a reflection of who god is it's not to reflect his nature And it's to be under God's judgment. So what does uh, the Apostle Paul say? Verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Let no one deceive you with empty words. And, And let me tell you this, church. There are a lot of empty, deceptive words out in the world today. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, what? The wrath of God comes upon the sins of disobedience. Church, let no one deceive you with empty words. Many will spew out many lies, the lies of so-called sexual freedom. Uh, That that means expressing sexuality with, with little to no boundaries. But for us as as Bible-believing Christians, sexuality is a gift that is expressed in in the relationship of marriage between one man and, and one woman. One man and one woman united by God in the relationship of marriage. Anyone engaging in anything outside of God's design for human sexuality is succumbing to deceptive and empty words. Words that have no basis in the truth of Scripture. So church, we need to be careful. We need to go to the scriptures. We need to go to the word. And there we stand. 
Moreover, the deception regarding pleasure and money will only bring the wrath of God, Paul says. So the Apostle Paul goes on to write, verse 7, Therefore do not become partners with them. For at, what time, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are what? You are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. The only way you're going to discern what is pleasing to the Lord is through the word of God, through the scriptures. To be a people where the Bible is open in your home. Not just open to look nice in your home, but, but open to read and to pray and to repent. To live our lives in and through. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. If it's shameful to, to speak of what they do in secret, then why do we put it on our television screens? But what if anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light, therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper. Wake up, church, and arise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. This is the place that we find ourselves today. We need to wake up. We need to be alert to what's going on around us and, and in our world. That we don't get sucked into the deceptions of this present evil age. Money isn't the answer. Pleasure isn't the answer. The answer is, is living in Christ. Living in the light of Jesus. Trusting in his saving work. That's the answer. So we live uh, in a dark world. And where there's darkness, there is brokenness. And where there's darkness, there's danger. And here's the danger. We who, who live in the light, especially after a sermon like this, can become very judgmental. Uh, we can become very judgmental towards those walking in the darkness. So our hearts, after hearing a message like this, shouldn't go into judgment mode, pointing fingers at those who walk in darkness. Rather, in light of this truth, our hearts should break and feel compassion. Feel compassion for those that believe that pleasure and money are the answers to life. Then look at our own lives. Look at where we came from or where we possibly could go if it wasn't for Jesus and for his grace. So we should have compassion and love and a deep sense of friendship towards those 
who have bowed the knee to these idols. We aren't called to judge those living in the darkness. We're called to be a reflection of the nature of God, right? We're called to be a reflection of the nature of God. And that is to be the light and the love of Jesus to them. Obedience to these things, in God's word, obedience to the commandments and to the law in the scriptures, without love is not godliness. Obedience without love is not being a reflection of Christ. It's called being a Pharisee. If you are a reflection of this light to others, you're going to be a reflection of the nature not only of, of righteousness and of holiness and of godliness in your living, but you're also going to be a reflection of the love and the compassion and the friendship that Jesus has for all people. So these three points again. We're called to reflect the nature of God. It doesn't come naturally, but a new nature is given by grace through faith to you. So you've been given this new nature. Therefore, look carefully then how you walk. And I don't have time to, to expound on all of this. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise. Again, we need God's word to know what's wise. Making the best use of the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We need his word to know that. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Debauchery being this, this, this pleasure-filled party focus. Don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. This is the life that we're to live on the, the horizontal plane Addressing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In other words, what comes out of us should be the truth of who God is from his word, a reflection of his nature to others. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. Remember the golden rule? Jesus talked about it in the Sermon on the Mount. That's the way we're to live in this horizontal plane. Would Jesus enter into a bar and save a person that has been consumed by the gods of, of money and of pleasure? Would he go into a bar and speak to his own child and draw her out? Watch this video. I'm Carla Pratico, and Jesus saved me in a bar. My whole life, I was really just looking for people to approve of me and looking for, like, love. I was really good at school. I was president of my high school and then went on to college and joined probably about 15 different kind of honor societies or leadership organizations. And I really was looking just to feel important. Really agreed with the lie that unless I had this achievement, 
um, I really wasn't valuable. I was just looking for every avenue I could to feel important and to feel valuable. I became addicted to the achievement. I grew up in a Christian home, and I would say that I knew about Jesus on some measure. I never really believed that he cared much about me. After college, I got the apprenticeship of my, like, absolute dreams. I moved to New York City to work with a Fortune 500 leadership consultant. Just got very quickly caught up into the nightlife scene. All consumed with partying and drinking and promiscuous activity. By day, I was kind of walking in this dream job. And then by night, I was staying up till four in the morning at clubs. I was surrounded by so much money. You know, I'm surrounded by um, famous people. And I'm sort of like, who am I in this room? I'm a 20, you know, 22 year old. What am I even doing here? These rich men would pay for me to get into these really expensive high-end places. Even just to get through the door was $1,000, not to mention the, the bottle service and the table. I mean, it would, you could easily spend five to 10 grand a night. I was drinking three or four times a week, like blackout drunk. It did help me escape kind of some of that pain that I was experiencing from just rejection and not feeling worthy and not feeling lovable. Escaping that pain was something I did with alcohol and then the promiscuity, that piece was really trying to convince myself that I was lovable. It's like, if someone will take me home, that means I must be lovable. Then you wake up in the morning and they don't even remember your name. So I had been partying at night, working during the day, and my birthday was coming up. And so I invited what I call my nighttime friends to join me for my birthday. Only one person showed up. It was so sad. And she ends up going home and I decide to stay at this bar by myself on my 23rd birthday. At this point, I'm like, well, I may as well find somebody to go home with. I'm talking to this guy. I'm vodka soda drunk and I hear a voice and it says, this is not your life. As soon as I heard those words, I knew they were true. It was almost as if someone had turned the lights on in the bar for me. It was like I could see clearly, even though I knew I was still drunk, and I needed to leave that bar right, like instantly and go find what is life, what is my life. I immediately put my drink down the guy is still probably trying to talk to me and I just walked straight out of the bar and I got in a cab and as soon as I get in the back seat, I look up front and there's actually a man and a woman. They uh, agreed to take me home despite being off duty. The woman in the front seat, she um, said something to her husband, something like, doesn't God know it? And I only caught that, you know, couple words, but I heard the word God and I instantly knew that that voice that I had heard in the bar was God. I stuck my head through the little taxi window and I said, do you believe in God? 
and they start sharing the gospel with me, just telling me what Jesus thinks about me and, and how much he loves me and that he died for me. And I had heard this story before, but for, for the first time in my life, it felt like it was just for me. Like I knew he came and just like sovereignly cut through all the mess that I had made just for me. As they're, as they're talking to me, I instantly start repenting to these people. That night, everything changed. I started really looking for what my life was. I started pursuing, um, who is this God person? If he could invade my life and speak to me in the middle of a Manhattan bar, what else could he do? What else was he like? I found a church. You can watch the rest of the testimony online. I cut it off there. Jesus goes to the places that the average church person would never go. And there he is, present, to give his love, to give his grace, and to save. So church, we're not called to judge and to look down upon those who live for these idols of pleasure and money. Rather, we need to see ourselves as, as those who are just as sinful, as people who need salvation just as much as anyone else in this world. And to remember who Jesus saved his harshest words for. Did Jesus save his harshest words for those walking in the darkness, living sinful lives? No, he actually saved his harshest words for church people. For people who, who were at synagogue every Sabbath and who knew the scriptures forward and backward. Those are the people who Jesus uh, saved his harshest words for because they were not reflecting the love and the grace of Jesus towards those that were walking in the darkness. And when Jesus came onto the scene, it was a, it was a light that lit up and people living for the, for the idols of pleasure and, and for sin, they, they were just drawn to him like a magnet. So much so that they pointed at Jesus and they said that Jesus has to be a sinner because he's a friend of drunkards and gluttons. To reflect the character and nature of God is not only to refrain from the idols of pleasure and the idols of money and to, to worship God alone, but it's also to reflect the nature of God's love and to befriend people not living for God, but for the idols of, of pleasure and money. And like the, the young lady in the video, those who, who live for idols will, will soon discover that their idols can't be trusted, that their idols will soon fail them, that their idols only offer empty promises. And when people hit that low point... And their idols are exposed for what they are. Where are we as a church? Are we there with love and compassion? With open arms to welcome them in to a relationship with God and into the family of the church? Be imitators of God. Don't fall into our culture's idolatry of pleasure and money. Rather reflect God's loving nature to all. Living a godly life. 
but understanding that there's nothing godly about obedience without love. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the truth of your word for today. Thank you for your continual work, that you're there even when we're not there. You're there to save even when we fail to answer the call to bring the light of the gospel to others. Thank you, Lord, that you do it all, that you are gracious and merciful. And thank you, Lord, that you've invited us into this, this mission that you're on. So put us where you want us to be every day, living not for this world, but living for you, reflecting your love and your grace to all people. Do this in the power of your Holy Spirit in our congregation. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all of God's children say, amen.